0: Okay, we're studying through the book of Genesis, and we believe it to be a foundational book throughout the Old Testament and to be able to understand the New Testament as well. We want to uh, look today at a situation in Genesis chapter 11. This is a story focusing uh, at the heart of the sin of pride. We've seen pride before in our study of Genesis. We saw it. In the the garden with Adam and Eve, we saw it. With Cain and Abel, uh, we have seen the the consequences of it uh, before the flood with corruption and violence on the earth. And now we're going to see how it still is infecting individuals after the flood. One person has written this, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. That's true, isn't it? But here's the problem. All of us have it. Every heart is infected with this insidious disease that sometimes it shows up in blatant arrogance, we can see it a mile away, and then sometimes it shows up in, in, in kind of this false humility, this awe-shucks attitude. But both have this self-absorption, have this self-focus, both have the desire. To, to do what's best for me at any given moment, regardless of how it impacts others and regardless of what God says. The English word for pride is illustrative in and of itself, because right in the middle of this word is what? I. And that's what pride's all about it's about me, what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Regardless of others and how it impacts others. Okay, so we're going to spend some time in Genesis 11. i got five principles regarding pride from Genesis 11. But before we get there, I need to set the context. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to set the context for the story in Genesis 11. Genesis chapter 6 is before the flood, and we read there the situation that exists on earth. The Lord saw the wickedness of man, Genesis 6, 5, saw the wickedness of man, was great on the earth, and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart, a man's heart, was only evil continually. And so God says, I'm going to do something about that. Last time we saw the flood, the flood came. It cleansed the earth of most people, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives, We're saved on the ark. But I want you to note this, even after the flood, even after that cleansing, sin still exists on earth. Original sin is still in the heart of man. The the flood did not do away with original sin. And so we see after the flood in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, God says, I'm not going to curse the ground again like that, because the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Sin still exists. There's still going to be consequences for it. It's just not going to be a flood again. The intentions of man continue even after the flood, and we're still infected by that original sin today. Now, after the flood, God had some specific instruction for Noah, his wife, his Three sons and their wives. We have a small group of people now that exist, and God wants to fill the earth. And so he says in chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is an important command that God gives. We're going to see in a minute uh, some people who didn't want to do it. But we want to just stay there and drill that down because God says to Noah and his family, it is now your responsibility. This is the assignment I'm giving to you. You are to be fruitful. You are to multiply. I'm going to bless you. And you are are to fill the earth with people. Now, we learned last time that Noah was a man of great integrity, right? Blameless and righteous. Blameless meaning integrity, righteous meaning that he lived according to God's standard. That's why God chose him to build the ark and delivered him from the flood. However, as we said last time, Noah was not perfect. Far from it. So, look at verse 20 and 21 of chapter 9. After the flood, Noah became a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine, and became, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. You know, sometimes when you're reading these stories, Moses is writing this, right? And you've got to think, as Moses, Moses is getting this from oral tradition, he's getting it from some written tradition, and he's also getting it from inspiration from God. But some of these stories, you've got to think Moses said, Lord, do we really want to put that in there? <clears throat> Can't we just leave that one out? We had Moses, we had Noah going. He was a good guy. He's still a good guy, but now he gets drunk. Drunkenness is always a sin. Condemned over and over in Scripture. And here is a very unflattering picture of Noah. After the flood, he handles, he builds the ark, he obeys God. Plants a vineyard, gets drunk, goes into his tent, strips naked, and passes out on the floor. Not a good picture. Notice what happens next. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. Now, there are many commentators who think something happened in the tent uh, sexually, there's nothing in the text that would show that. Here are the two things we need to think about when we read chapter 9, verse 22. First, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what's the first thing? They, they realized that they were what? Naked. And they were ashamed and they covered themselves. And, and throughout the Hebrew mindset, the Hebrew culture, nakedness was shameful. Still is today, and God gave specific instructions. Even in the law, He gave specific instructions in covering oneself. Even when the priests were walking up steps, He gave specific instructions so that they would be decent in walking up the steps. Nakedness is um, was always associated with a misconduct. And, and, and furthermore, seeing one's father in that situation was, was, was a breaking of the family ethic. Also, in the Hebrew culture, insulting your mother and your father was a serious matter. It still is. In that day, however, you could be stoned for it. Thankfully, aren't you thankful? That doesn't exist today. Some of you kids may say, yeah, I'm thankful for that. But still insulting your mom and your dad is wrong. Fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and your mother. And so here you have the shamefulness of nakedness, and here you have honoring your father and mother. Noah gets drunk, and Ham's sin is that he goes into his father's tent, He gazes upon his father's nakedness, and instead of covering his father like his brothers will do, we see he runs out of the tent, and he can't wait to tell everybody about his dad, and he announces it to his brothers. He broadcasts his dad's embarrassment publicly and proudly. And irreverently mocked his father. Now, anytime you see a person's actions, right? You see more than their actions. Because their actions are the result or the consequence or the outflowing of what? Of their heart. And so it's just not that Ham went in and made this announcement We see Ham's heart. He has little respect, if any, for his dad. He wants to embarrass his dad further. He uses Noah's sin, and it was a sin, to show complete disrespect for him. That's his heart. So we don't see just an action. We see someone's heart. Sometimes we'll hear, you know, an athlete well-known person. They do something. And what's everyone say? Well, they're just young. Well, they are young. And yeah, God can redeem. And we do some stupid things when we're immature. However, we have to own up whatever age to our sin. It is a reflection of our heart. It's not anecdotal things we do. It flows from our heart. So when Noah learns what happens, he's not very happy about it, as you can imagine. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done, he said to him, Cursed be Canaan. That's interesting. He doesn't curse Ham, the son, but he curses Ham's youngest son, Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, we've got to take some time here to make sure we understand uh, this situation. Ham had four sons: Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Four sons. Ham was Noah's youngest son. Noah curses Ham's youngest son as well. Now, to this point, God has cursed the the um, Satan, right? Cursed the land, and then cursed Cain after Cain killed Abel. This is the first time in Scripture we see a person cursing another person. It's important that we understand this because we'll see blessings and cursings given throughout the rest of Genesis. First of all, Noah had no authority. He had no magical formula. This is not a magical incantation of a curse on Canaan. He has no authority to do that. This is an appeal to God only if it's God's will will this come to fruition. Noah, no doubt, has already seen Ham. Again, this incident was a reflection of what he had already seen in Ham. And it may well have been an incident of what he's already seen in Canaan. Now, Ham's sin, Canaan, is not responsible for Ham's sin. Right? A son is not responsible for his father's sin. We see that in scripture. We are responsible for our own sin. Certainly, if I as a father sin against my family, that's going to impact my family. Right? It's going to impact them in, in sometimes some devastating ways. So the impact's going to be there. But my sin is not passed on to any of my children. They're responsible for their own actions. And so the cursing here is not Ham's sin, Canaan's going to pay for it. Canaan is going to be held responsible for his own sins, and there are going to be plenty. Now remember, Moses is writing the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, the first one, in 1440 B.C., around there. And he's writing it after Israel, has been delivered from Egypt. And they're getting ready to take the promised land. So, he's reminding them that God has the power over one of Ham's sons' descendants, Egypt. Right? Just been, they, they saw the wickedness, and then now they've been delivered. So, God has power over Egypt. They also are going to run into Canaan, who is the descendants that that occupy the promised land at this time. It's the Canaanites, the descendants of Canaan. So Moses is going to say, we're going to go take the promised land. And just as God showed you that he has power over Egypt, guess what? He has power over the Canaanites too. It's not going to be a problem. God's going to take care of us. He's going to deliver us. It became a problem for them, didn't they? Remember? the Numbers, they send the spies in uh, to the land of Canaan, and they come back. The spies say, except for uh, Joshua and Caleb, man, there were giants in the land. Ain't no way we can take those people. But here Moses is is getting... God, through Moses, is saying, you can't take them. You will take them. They just don't trust him. That's for another day. The Canaanites... We're in the land of promise, and they're going to be um, going against the Israelites for a long time, as we'll see through Genesis. Chapter 10 is the table of nations and the descendants of Noah and his three sons. And I just want to show you one thing. If you're running the slides, we're going to skip forward just a little bit. I'm sorry about that. In chapter uh, 10, uh, verse 9, I want to show you something. Look at verse 8. Cush fathered Nimrod... And he was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. So, so we're noting that this guy's different. He's the first to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, verse 9. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. There was a, there was a word out about Nimrod. Man, it, you're, you, if you're a great guy, you're like Nimrod. He was a, he was a mighty man. And uh, he... In verse 10, he began his kingdom in Babel, in Erech, in Akkad, in Cana, and in the land of Sennar. That's going to be important here in a second. That's what we learn from the table of nations. All right, that's the introduction. That was a long one, wasn't it? Now we have five minutes left for the sermon. All right, we will move through quickly. We have five points regarding pride as we go through this story about the Tower of Babel. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. That's interesting. The Hebrew word for language is lip. So the whole earth had the same lip, the same mouth, and the same vocabulary. Verse 2, and as the people uh, migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Sennar, and they settled there. Now, who's the king of Sennar? Sinar. Nimrod. So Nimrod is leading this people. Think about this mighty man in history. His name may have been Sargon I, if you want to look up history. And so here we have Nimrod, this mighty man, leading these people. Uh, the, the the migration is a word that makes us think about uh, Bedouins who who were who were moving. They're moving eastward, and they would uh, they would they would live in tents. So they would settle a little area. Remember, nine chapter nine verse one, they are to fill the earth. So they're going to settle an area. A lot of them are going to move away. They're going to settle another area. A lot of them are going to move away, and that's how God's plan for 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 filling the earth. So they're migrating uh, to the east. But here's a group probably led by this man, Nimrod, and they say, we're done with that. We don't care what God says. We're not moving anymore. Regardless of God's plan for us to fill the earth, we're going to settle. We're settlers. Here's the first lesson. Pride leads to disobedience. It always does, doesn't it? God says, multiply and fill the earth, chapter 9, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. They say, no. We're going to settle here. This is where we're going to be. This is best for us. We don't care what God says. We're here. So pride is this insidious disease that always looks after our own interests. Pride is filled with phrases like, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. I want to be happy. I don't care what God says. I am tired of sacrificing for others. we are going to spend some time focusing on me. Always in the middle of pride. Is that big? What? I. If I want to have sex before marriage, I will. I got plenty of time to make up for that later. I'll serve God later on. But I want to do right now what I want to do. If I want to live with someone before marriage, I don't care that God says that's wrong. I will. It's about me. If I want to marry a non-believer, I don't care. I'll marry who I want to marry. And besides, he's the nicest guy you've ever met. I always hate that. He's the nicest guy. He may be the nicest guy, but if he's not a believer, God says no. If I want to have an affair, I'll do it. If I want divorce, I will. If I want to look at pornography, that's my business. If I want to make my job my God, I will. If I want to use my money any way I please, I will do it. I really don't care what God says. Now, who in here hasn't made one of those statements? Psalm chapter, Psalm 10, verses 4 and 6 says this In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In his his thoughts, there's no room for God. How can there be room for God when you're self-absorbed? His ways are always prosperous, or so it seems. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do harm for me. Who could ever shake me? Who could ever do harm for me? Pride has this, this false security, this, this disobedience to God. A life of pride. Again, whatever the continuum, whether it's an arrogant son of a gun, or whether it's this false humility, it is an antithesis to the life. That Jesus has for us. An antithesis to the Christian life. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. A familiar uh, passage. Verse 3. Let me just read through some of these uh, verses. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Does anyone besides me have some trouble with that one? It's a hard one, isn't it? Do nothing, or let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. But I want to look at my interests, God. It's about me. Have this mind among yourself, which is also which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, where's the I in Christ's actions? It is about us, not him. He didn't need to die for his own sin. He died for your sin and for my sin. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Pride is the antithesis of the Christian life. Here's the second principle. Pride is reinforced by personal intellect and ingenuity. Now remember, we've been saying we've been made we're made in the image of God, right? God is all powerful. We're not all powerful, but man's pretty powerful. Man has that power, that authority. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. We're not all-knowing, but I'm talking to a pretty sharp group of people right now, movers and shakers in Pittsburgh, building businesses, doing some fantastic things. We have a capacity to learn, a capacity to grow. God's the creator. We can't create like God. We can't create something from nothing like God did. But what great inventions can man do? What great things can man build? We have, we have this image of God, right? Look at the ingenuity in verse 3 here. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had, uh, uh, and, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. In that area where they are, uh, they are uh, not in an area where there's any stone. By the way, let me show you where they, where they are just real quick. They migrated east. Here is the area of Sinar. All right? You can see that Babylon is there and Nineveh is in this area. Here's Mesopotamia. And it's present day Iraq. So, this is present day Iraq where they settled. No, there's no um, stone in that area like there is further west. So, they say, okay, that's okay. We can handle it. We got mud. And we can go to, uh, down to the, the, the Gulf. Or or right here, we can dig up mud, and we can make forms. We can make these forms any size we want, and we can put the mud in there, and it can dry. And then, I know, someone said, let's let's put it through a kiln. Let's put it through a fire and just bake it. The ingenuity. It's great things they did. Intellect and ingenuity is a double-edged sword, isn't it? On one side, it's the strength uh, of a community, it's the strength of a country. On the other side, there's always that temptation to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. There's always that temptation to think we're a little smarter than everybody else. We're a little more experienced than everybody. We're a little more trained than everybody else. Everybody else, everybody else is fine. They're just, they're just not quite at our level here, right? And because of our intellect and because of our experience and because of our training, and then we have some pretty cool stuff. We've built some pretty cool businesses. We have a nice home, symbol of status. That shows that that we've arrived. That shows who we are. It's the car we drive, you know. That shows that We are somebody. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Mark this passage. We'll go through it quickly. Starting in verse 11, God's telling the Israelites, You're going to be doing some great stuff, you're going to be a great country. I chose you to be a great country but be careful. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God and by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your gold your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be what? Proud, lifted up and you forget You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You forget the Lord your God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Look at verse um, 16. You forget the Lord your God who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. It didn't come from them. It came from me, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Verse 17, beware, mark that one in your Bible. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and, my, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. It's about me. I achieved all these things. That's a great temptation, isn't it? God's saying, don't forget your training came from me. Don't forget your intellect came from me. Don't forget. That's why we love to do life mapping, living grounded. You can see how God orchestrated all these things. Sometimes we think we're pretty hot stuff, and then we go back and say, oh, my goodness. If not for the hand of God, no way. No way. Anything could be achieved. Don't forget, God says, who I am and what I have given you because it comes from my hand. Ingenuity and intellect, double-edged sword. We can do great things with it. God wants us to. He wants you to use your intellect and vocation to honor him. But boy, it can become a matter of pride. Here's the third point about pride. Pride is motivated by a desire for recognition. Look at verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves A city and a tower. That may be better translated a city tower. Let's build something big. With its top to the heavens. And let us make a what? A name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. That's what we're supposed to do. But we don't want to do that. We want to settle here. So let's just settle here and make a name for ourselves. The Canaanites were... They worshipped stars. They were stargazers. They worshipped stars. And so they would build these ziggurats up to the sky with the bricks, build them up to the sky. They would put these kind of these observation decks on the top, and then they would be able to be closer to the stars and observe the sky. They're gods. So these ziggurats were temples to their gods, the stars and the sun the sky. Here's some of the ziggurats, a picture of these amazing structures. Look at this made thousands of years ago. These people were amazing with bricks that they made in forms and, and fired them and, and, and made these ziggurats. Some, some of them still standing today. And they said, we're going to build those so that we can make a name for ourselves. Now, here's a hard question. Take some time to pray about it this week. Are you doing anything in your life to make a name for yourself that could range from the use of spiritual gifts to your career to your children to the home you have because you got to have a really nice home so that people know you've arrived right to your possessions because you've got to have the right stuff and your kid oh my gosh your kids have to have the right stuff right we're going to have a breakout in the parenting conference about social media and I hear parents all the time oh social media social media social media all these games and stuff then what do you buy your kids for Christmas the newest iPhone the newest game Because other kids have it, and we've got to keep up. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have the games, right? Whatever those games are. And I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to be the best we can be. We should. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use our spiritual gifts. That's a command to use our spiritual gifts. And I'm not saying... That your career has been given to you by God. It's a, it's a great calling and, and you need to honor him with it. I'm not saying we shouldn't raise our children. I'm not saying those things. We shouldn't raise our children well. But again, this insidious disease of sin always has to be checked. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter uh, 5. You are, you are, as believers, you are what? You are the light of the world. Town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You're a light. You need to be shining in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and tell you how successful you are. Let your light so shine in such a way that they can see your good deeds and tell you what a fantastic parent you are. Let your light so shine before God that they can see your good deeds and tell you, I don't know how anyone else but you could have built this business. God says, so they can see your good deeds and what? I get the glory because I gave you everything you needed to be able to do that. Let them see your good deeds so the glory comes back to me. And so build great businesses. And then when someone says, How did you do that with such integrity? Say, Well, I'm going to tell you about my God who always gets the glory. You're a tremendous teacher. Man, the gifts of teaching in the public school you have is tremendous. How do you my you are my kids' favorite teacher? How do you do that? Well, let me tell you, I'm so thankful that God gave me. These gifts, I don't have to downplay them. God gave me these gifts. He gave me great training, and, and he gets the glory. Look at verse 5. We've got to hurry. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, God is um, omnipresent, right? He's already there. And he's omniscient, he already knows, but Moses is writing to the Israelites and he's reminding them in this anthropomorphic way, God's coming down, God keeps you accountable, God's right here with us. Said to the Lord, behold, they are one people and they will have one language, and this is the only, the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they purpose." Uh, to do uh, now will be impossible to them. God's not saying they're going to overthrow me. He's not saying they can really build the tower to the the top of the heavens. He's saying their wickedness is going to just continue and get worse and worse. Here's the fourth principle. Group pride is a recipe for evil. Group pride. It's bad enough individuals. But when countries and groups... When that pride infects them, then wars break out. Nazi Germany takes place. ISIS takes place. Wars and oppression from the beginning of time have been the sin of pride and uh, tyrants who pass that down, sometimes forced, sometimes people just grab onto it, right? Pass that down to their people, and they do great harm. Last principle. God will deal with the pride, sin of pride, in his way and in his time. It may not be tomorrow like we want it to be always, but he's going to deal with the sin of pride in his way and in his time. And he's going to do that in our lives. Look at verse 7. Come down. Let us come down. It's kind of cool here. It's like God comes down, and then he sees everything. And then they go back up to heaven, and and, and they have this council, And they say, okay, let's go down and do something about it. Come, let us go down there and, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand another's speech. Again, we see the power of communication here. So the Lord dispersed them from from there over the face of the earth, and and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, the word Hebrew word Babel. Sound, the Hebrew word for confused, sounds like Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face. Of all the earth. God said in in 9 1, I want you to go fill the earth. They didn't want to do it. God said, just watch. And now they're dispersed. God changes the language. He confuses the language. They probably would have been speaking what was spoken in the Garden of Eden at this time. It's the only language that God had given, right? But now they use that language in a dangerous way. God says, time out, not going to do that. And here, when you look at a map of the world, You see the results of Genesis chapter 11. When you look at a map of the world, not only do you see all those countries, but you see the results of the sin of pride. And so God says, I'm going to have English here, and Spanish here, we're going to have Chinese here, we're going to have all these different Russian here, and all these different languages and dialects, so that people cannot get together and create great damage against themselves, and ultimately against me. God will take care of it in his time and in his way. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. All right, so I'm going to end with this question. And I want you guys, I want all of us, to deal with it during the week. Are you doing anything to make a name for yourself? Are you doing anything to make a name for yourself? Proverbs 16, 18 is the warning. Pride goes before what? Destruction. You want to destroy yourself? You want to destroy your family? You want to destroy the business that God has allowed you? Then just infect it with pride. It's going to come down. James chapter 6 in the New Testament. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 says this. God opposes the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. And then James says, so submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And then James says, if you're dealing with something, then can." Repent of it. Be convicted of it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weak. Feel sorry that you have offended the living God. Let there be conviction. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You can't offend God and get by with it. Humble yourselves before the Lord and let him exalt you. Let him exalt you. So you can say, yeah, he gets the glory. So you can use your success for a testimony of God's goodness, not as a matter of pride. So that you can use the great things that happen in your life, and there are tremendous things that happen, not as a matter of pride, but so that men can see our good deeds, and then what can we do? Use those great blessings as a testimony to say, let me tell you about this great God I serve. And you know what? The same great God who blesses me, he would love to bless you as well. Are you doing anything? Are you doing anything in your life making a name for yourself instead of Pointing it all back to God. Father, help us to deal with that this week. Search our hearts and make them known. The problem with pride is it is so insidious. We don't even see it. We don't even see it in our lives. So show it to us. Help us to stay focused on you. to be in your word so that your word washes over our soul and points out and convicts us, and instructs us, and rebukes us, and gets us back on the right track. Lord, do your work. Do your work in our hearts. Help us to answer that question before you. Are we trying to build kingdoms for ourselves? Are we trying to build your kingdom? Help us to answer it honestly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.